You're listening to The Caravan of Hope, promoting peace, safety, and well-being for every individual on earth. Okay, so um, welcome to the Caravan of Hope, and we are joined once again by my very dear friend Abram Stern in Jerusalem. Greetings, Abram. Nice to have you here. Good to be here. And of course, um, joined by my partner in crime here on the Caravan of Hope, COVID Omatic. And joined by my partner in crime, <laughs> who's called Brent Corbell. I was just thinking, would it be good to have a kind of update of how things are for you there in uh, Jerusalem? <coughs> so, uh, yeah, okay. sure. Just stop for a second and oh. we'll just have a break in the sound. Oh, um, I was just wondering what, um, how things are for you in Jerusalem at this moment. So, uh, great. Uh, yeah, great question because things are constantly moving and changing and shifting. Um, so this week, uh, 21 soldiers were killed yeah. uh, in one, I mean, more than that were killed, but 21 soldiers were killed in a, an incident two days ago. And uh, that's caused a lot of uh, sadness and a lot of pain. Uh, it's not clear what happened, but it looks like Hamas militants um, attacked um, a, ha uh, a building that the IDF were had booby trapped to uh, not booby trapped but had uh, had put bombs into um, to uh, demolish the the building because the IDF is creating a thousand yard safety zone within on the border of the Gazan Strip. Um, so that the kibbutz, and this happened about a few hundred yards away from one of the kibbutzes that were attacked on October 7th, where over, where eight people died, were killed. Um, and so they're creating a, 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 they want to create a thousand yard, uh, security buffer. And so this building, um, was being demolished. It, the Israeli soldiers that died were in the building because it's not a good idea to wait around outside. And the building was attacked and the bombs that the Israeli army had put there to demolish the building went off and then 21 soldiers were killed. So that's a big event uh, in the sense of uh, the growing restlessness in the population, in the Israeli population, about the war, how it's being conducted, the hostages, and whether it's being conducted uh, in a way that is, um, you know, uh, meeting the the either the uh, aims of the war or protecting the soldiers or protecting the uh, population within Israel itself. So there's a lot that's going on since I last talked to you, politically, militarily, uh, and of course that, and I'm not, I can't even begin to talk about the international perspectives that shift and change and 
and what happens there. So tremendous, nothing stays still. Mm. And I'll say again, in a political perspective, there's huge amounts that's, that's happening. Um, it's becoming clearer and clearer there'll be elections. The question is, when will those elections be? What will happen to the right wing, current right wing uh, government? Uh, it, uh, you know, there's, the polls look like there'll be, you know, a, a very strong national unity, uh, more centrist um, government. If there were to be elections held, that would shift very significantly the what happens and how things happen. Right. So, sorry, that was probably too much information. No, no, that's, that's kind of information yeah. that we don't actually know about. So, yeah, because yeah, I'm yeah. wondering if, sorry to interrupt, I'm wondering if we've actually had that incident report here, but I can see that it's all over YouTube. Um, and um, uh, the big story here. Um, is the fact that, um, oh, yes, it, yes, no, we, we have had that reported because I watched, they had footage of the funerals for the soldiers on um, the news the other night. But the yeah. story that's really taking off here yes. is the footage that was filmed yesterday of a cameraman speaking to half a dozen Palestinian women who were standing with their hands up waving a white flag because they wanted to rescue this guy's mother. He was on the safe zone just outside. He was on the side of the wall in the safe zone in Khan Yunus, and the cameraman interviewed them about what they were trying to do because they were standing there waving a flag and holding up like a green card. It must have been some identification. Yeah. Speaking of notifications, we, we might mind just have our phones off. It's uh, not my phone. I don't think it's me on. I'm telling yeah, you. So um, that's that's all over our screens at the moment mm. uh, because the footage showed the cameraman talking to them and then he says, okay, thanks for chatting to me, good luck, I hope you get through, and he walks off down the street and when he's about 100 metres away, um, there opened fire on and the man who, a man who was in that group was um, shot and killed and... Um, there was graphic footage of him being carried and the white flag was being used to staunch his wounds. It was it was pretty it was it was pretty eye catching material in terms of the media circus. Yeah. yeah, look uh again I I I uh I, I don't know about that specific incident. So you know send that link to me. I'd be very interested in looking at it. Yeah. Uh, because there's just so there's so much information. There's so much Mm. Uh, news and uh, it, it's it's impossible, you know, to have a life and keep track of everything. Everything that's happening, um, and you know, so you know, as I said, uh, that that I didn't, you know, I I checked the BBC, I checked the New York Times, I checked the Economist, and I checked the various Israeli uh, news outlets, uh, and that's a lot already. So, and I listened to various podcasts. And the other thing I have to um, sort of say is, you know, um, it's uh, today is January the 25th. It's Thursday night here in um, New Zealand. And right, you know, I think you probably just it's it's um, quite early in the morning in Jerusalem time. So maybe that that news hasn't um, come through your normal channels yet. But um, that's possible too. Yeah, that's possible too. But it does uh, touch. I, I, on will that say, idea. I will. I will say. You know, in in general, um, these things 
are I, I, again like I, I don't know about that specific incident, but I do know that there have been many incidents of terrorist attacks and booby traps using um, using white uh, using the white flag, um, and I, I do know that that is uh, a known problem. I also know that uh, mistakes are made in war. And mistakes are made for all sorts of reasons, a lot to do with the anxiety and fear that goes on in war. Uh, war is not a thing that anybody, as far as I know, wants. Uh, there is no desire for war. There wasn't a war on October 6th. Mm. Um, and I, so I, I, I think I, I struggle with these kinds of stories in the sense of, they're horrific and I don't want them to happen. I don't want anybody to die. Yeah. Um, and, and I, and I, and I, you know, I, I, I have, uh, four nephews and a nephew-in-law and they don't want to be fighting. They don't want to be in Gaza in the sense of, uh, they don't ever want to be in this position. I mean, they want to be in Gaza because they feel they need to protect their families, they need to protect their children, they need to protect, they yeah. need to be there. So from that perspective, there's a desire to, to, you know, to be defending, but they don't really desire, nobody I know desires this war or desires this kind of carnage uh, or desires this kind of, uh, to be involved in this kind of urban warfare. So where the, they can't trust what they see, where they can't, they don't, under, you know, uh, it's a very, very frightening proposition. Yeah. Um, it's it's always the young men that are, are used as the the fodder, aren't they? In every war, I think that's true. You know, I think I think that is unfortunately the case. And I uh, yes, yeah, I think that there is a yeah, it it falls upon young men to be. Uh, although again, uh, half of the twenty one soldiers that were killed were over the age of thirty. Most of them married, leaving, you know, leaving, uh, you know, leaving families now without a father. And I think, you know, it's important to recognise, um, you know, when we when we talk of events that have happened in past history, we only tend to talk about the conflict itself and not some of these small things. Well, they're not small, pardon me. I don't mean to be disrespectful. But no, no, no. I understand what you mean. The tale of the war because it was interesting the other news getting a bit of attention on our network news this evening i was just um uh, watching news as i was cooking dinner um and the, a russian plane was shot down reportedly by um ukrainian missiles and they've just reported that there were 65 ukrainian soldiers on it who were going to be part of a prisoner exchange you know so there are all these side events which whether deliberately or not deliberately always occur during a conflict like this and again i guess that's why people who don't have a political um position on this are arguing for you know a complete halt to um you know the the, the situation and definitely a ceasefire and a humanitarian response mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and even there, you know, there's a there's a uh, a complex 
media involvement that unfortunately I think uh, mystifies rather than clarifies. So, you know, the Russians are very good at this. The Russians are very good at saying, oh, you, you killed these people. Yeah. The question is, to what extent did the Russians put these people in harm's way and got them killed? So I, I do feel like that that's one of the great, great challenges of our time. And, and, and it is kind of how do we clarify uh, and tolerate to try and understand, tolerate, our, uh, sorry, not tolerate, but it, it, how do we clarify things in a way that, 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 that represents a, a version of reality that isn't tainted by our own biases that aren't that aren't that aren't you know that, that that don't keep us within our comfort zones but actually push us to accept that there are that there are complexities here that may make us uncomfortable Absolutely. Um, and i think the media is very poor at that when we finished our last episode we were talking to you about you know what kind of reporting did you get and and you've already spoken earlier this evening about you know the types of news feeds that you're looking at and you're right it, it does take time but just before we finished our last episode we were talking about the fact that there'd been some footage filmed by the bbc and you you'd mentioned how you trusted their journalism but then we were about to follow up with the question um because you made a statement that where you said the media film what they see and then you were going to talk a wee bit more about um what uh, yes i remember yeah do you want to so, can we can we revisit that because in the light of what we've just been talking so, about so i think i think it's important to to uh look you know um I, the point i was making there and i think still absolutely is the case now is that news works on the basis that there is something to see. So I think it's the job of the media to report what they see. The difficulty is, is it doesn't necessarily, necessarily reflect uh, sufficiently the context or what any of this actually means. So if you only look at people dying, then, which is a terrible thing, nobody wants to look at people, anybody dying, it doesn't necessarily reflect the obvious of what's good and what's bad in the larger context. So, you know, if you look at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and you look at the hundreds of thousands of people that were killed there, in, in that very snapshot of a moment, you can't think of anything more horrific to have happened or terrible to have happened in the history of humanity. Mm. If you just look at what's right in front of you, and the news is very good at putting, we are, because of technology, of putting what's right in front of you. The problem is, it's not very good at explaining and under, helping us understand what's reality, what, is, what reality does this represent? And so what happens is, is, that, is that from my perspective, people just project their own biases on what seem right in front of them 
and come up with all sorts of theories, let me just finish this point, theories to explain it, which may not necessarily reflect reality. I guess what I was going to say is um, none of that is new. It's, it's not like that's a modern thing that's happening. I mean, um, the speed at which propaganda or stories or events can be curated is almost instantaneous compared with, say, last century or it, it, it earlier times. But it's still one, it's like, you know, if I was to take a, a really classic example, it's like if I'm a school principal and two kids are waiting outside my office because they're having a fight. They've each got their own curated version, which tells the story of, in the movie in their head in soft focus. Yeah, I, 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 I do think there's a very, very substantial difference because I think now everybody can be a reporter, mm. whereas it used to be very few people. I also think is that, unfortunately, uh, I think there is now been emerging, and this is this I think is more significantly new and recent. There's emerging of fact and opinion in the in reporting that I think is extremely, extremely problematic. And that actually is, is very recent. That's very recent. And and I think, yeah, Kavita. Um, I, I wanted to ask you just because um, I'm not quite sure what news you get and what pictures you see, but um, I was at um, a peace rally on Saturday and one of the Palestinian women there who's a graduate from a university in Gaza said, and we just heard that the last university in Gaza has been blown up. Mm. Um, and yeah. what she was basically saying is that, you know, there's 1.9 million people homeless and there's nowhere safe. Yeah, uh, I, I suspect that's true. Yeah. And that's true. I think it's, it's deeply tragic. Yeah. It's deeply tragic. They're saying, you know, the, the health centres have been destroyed, the schools... I mean, again, the other side of it is that in almost every single one of these public places, there are entrances to tunnels. And there's a tunnel network that's 450 miles of tunnel network. That's almost double the size of the London Underground. Wow. 15 years of Hamas rule. And do you know who built these schools and built these hospitals? Not Hamas. Hamas didn't build them. They took the money through taxes and extortion, but they didn't build any resources. The yeah. UN, the World Health Authority, the World Health Organization, and actually when Israel actually did occupy the land, because it didn't occupy the land from 2005, uh, right? When, they, when it said, okay, we're leaving, good luck to you. So there were a lot of these hospital buildings were actually built by, by Israel yeah. pre-2005. But what I find kind of phenomenal about this idea. I mean, it's deeply, deeply frightening, to be honest. It's, a, you know, because deep frightening to me, I'm in Jerusalem. I'm, I'm like 50 kilometers away from it. Like, I'm not even that close. You should laugh. I'm not even that close, 50 kilometers. Right? <laughs> that's, how right? okay, there you that's, go. How, that's how it works in Israel, by the way. That's exactly how it works. Oh, it's over there. It's, 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 it's 50 kilometers away. It's not, it's nothing to do with us, right? That's how it works. Wow. Uh, you know, properties go on sale saying we're not in the property. The great thing about this property is if you get missiles from the north that are going to reach us, missiles from the south that are going to reach us. This is a great location. That's how properties are sold in Israel. 
Okay, so so the idea of these tunnels is deeply existentially threatening because what it means is there is nowhere that's safe. There is nowhere that is safe. Because, you know, the, the, because the tunnels go under the Israeli border or they go correct, around? Correct, correct, correct. Okay, um, that. And, and, and what that means is, is that if there's nowhere that's safe, then, and, and again, like, you know, I am not an expert in, in war. I am not an expert in arms, bombs, and so on and so forth. But uh, and and but what I what I do know is that these tunnels are near impossible to destroy. But we only discovered that, or well, that was only discovered recently. How difficult it is to destroy? Because first of all, they didn't know they were fifty meters deep. They didn't know. Turns out it's quite difficult to destroy tunnels fifty meters deep. Um, and they didn't know the extent to the tunnel work. Now, what I do know. Uh, sorry, I, I don't know where this, where, where did this come from? Let me want to go back to the point that we were talking about. We were oh. talking about the fact that the university, the ah, university so, university so, so, had been bombed. So what they have discovered is that under, under almost all of these basic infrastructure, public spaces that are meant to be safe spaces, mosques, schools, hospitals, clinics, homes, they even found kindergarten nurseries. They found tunnels and access to tunnels. So that leaves, that's a very, very complex moral question. Because if you leave those tunnels in place, then you then Israel becomes a less of a viable state to live in. Yeah. The I mean the tunnels are a well-known fact over here and early in the invasion or the re-entry into Gaza period that there was um, significant actions taken that were reported here, like um, flooding them was, was one thing that was, that was um, reported. They, they, they couldn't risk it because of the hostages. Well, we saw footage of water being pumped down tunnels. Yeah, but they, it turns out that that's not an effective strategy for going into the tunnels. No, and, and, and for the very reasons that you, you described. So um, I'm just looking at our, at our time here. And was there anything else you wanted to add in terms of um, how you feel the world's being informed about what's going on? Well, I, I don't, I mean, I, 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 I... I think that's a, that's a long conversation, which I'm happy to have. But I think that's a very that's a very short, small question with a very very complex answer. Uh, I, I think that um, I think that um, we should we should all desire peace. Absolutely. Uh, the question is how is peace achievable? Um, and and I'm not convinced that the extreme perspectives that people have any which way, whether it's right or left, is particularly helpful to fostering peace or the possibility of peace. I was reading an article today um, it, from a chap called um, Gwen Dyer, who's talking about how the way of um, Gwen Dyer, 
Um, okay. he, he, he works. He's a he's a, he's an independent reporter in London, but he has a column in our local paper. And I also um, have have come to understand um, the events during the Trump pres presidency called the um, Abraham Accord. Okay. Yeah. You know, do, do you know what I mean when I say that? Sorry. Yeah, it's a big deal. I, I, I definitely know about it. <laughs> I would say it was in spite of Trump, not because of Trump, but anyway. Well, um, it happened during his presidency. It and did, the, yes. And the argument put forward was that, um, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that was where Saudi Arabia um, was, was had agreed in principle to recognize the sovereignty of the Israeli state. Is that correct? No, that's not quite correct. Oh, okay. Can you can you um the Abraham Accords are a are a sense are a bunch of agreements with different Arab countries that until uh 2017, 2018 had no had no uh um open diplomatic relationships with uh Israel. So we're talking about the United Arab Emirates, uh Dubai, and we're talking about Morocco. So there were several, these were the initial, initial steps. The big, the big, again, I, I, I'm not an expert, I'm not a historian, I'm not a political analysis person, but it is thought that one of the reasons why Hamas started the, uh, perpetrated the attacks was to prevent the mutual recognition of Saudi Arabia, which is yet to happen. So that was on the cards. It was very close. It would have been a huge win-win situation for the Americans, the Israelis, and in the Saudi Arabians. Um, and so uh, they have not yet uh, uh, formally entered into any kind of formal arrangement with Israel. That's yet to happen. However, it's very clear that Saudi Arabia is uh, has actually said very clearly once you sort this war out these these talks are back on track and but there has to be a, a process of palestinian statehood to be established um so so that's that's where that's where the abraham calls are at the moment and it's a very 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 big deal it's a huge deal yeah and um i was listening to one pundit saying that the team that negotiated those things should have won the Nobel Peace Prize, and yet, oh. it, but it didn't get any particular airtime. No, no, it's extraordinary. It's absolutely yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. And then you have Barack Obama, who I will say very clearly, I was I voted for Barack Obama, <laughs> right? I voted, I voted for Barack Obama. I, I am a great supporter of his. But now when I review history and I see that he got a Nobel Peace Prize, and then I see his comments uh, in the last three months, I think to myself, you are really, really don't understand the Middle East in, in, at all. And, and you did not contribute. In, in actual fact, the Syrian debacle, the Syrian debacle, where he said there's a red line, but then didn't follow it up, allowed Russia to then infiltrate into the Middle East, which is particularly toxic, a lot to do with Russia and the Iran axis, yeah. and I think gave way to Ukraine. 
because I think it just showed Putin he could basically do what he wanted. And it's interesting because the article by this journal, Gwyn Dyer, talks about how um, sending a message via missile has become almost the norm and it's accepted. And I think he says, you know, not long ago, attacking another country's territory was seen as a big deal. But that's all changed because launching a few cruise and ballistic missiles at another country is now seen as just an, as an expression of displeasure and it's become almost routine. And then he goes on to outline that in the last week, there's been eight different countries sending missiles at their neighbours. Um, and it, it all boils back down because there's absolutely no sanctions that are being, um, you know, people can do it with impunity. Um, I, I mean, I think, I mean, again, you're talking about Pakistan, Iran, yeah. Iran Syria. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, well, even the United think, States and the United Kingdom, you know, they've, they've sent missiles and aircraft into Yemen. Right. And that right. hasn't been sanctioned by the UN. You know, none, you know, it's, well, the UN is not the UN isn't isn't a, isn't a particularly. I mean, again, the UN is a very problematic body. Yes. So, you know, so I, I think the UN is pretty rotten. I think it's rotten at its core and actually and, pretty much everywhere. So I'm going to invite you to listen to our episode next week because we're speaking to um, a, a very, very knowledgeable chap here at the University of Otago, Robert Patman, and he'll be yeah. our guest next week, and he's going to talk specifically about um, the United Nations. I can send you an article of his that he had um, recently, but um, let's just maybe pull back from the global... I just, I just, I just as a point, I'm just, I just, I have to say it. Okay. Do you know which country is chairing the 2023 UN, who is currently chairing the UN Human Rights Commission? Do you know what country is chairing the UN Rights Human Rights Commission right now? Can I find a friend? <laughs> no. Do you want to take a guess? Take a guess. The United States. Iran. There you go. That is how rotten this organization is. Iran is the current chair of the UN Human Rights UN Human Rights Commission. Now, is that yeah? Is that that the UN's rotten or the rules need a, a bit of an overhaul? <laughs> I mean, you know, what does one say? You got what five countries say? that can veto the rest of the two hundred uh, one hundred and ninety six countries. Well, again, if you've got the vast majority of countries not being liberal democracies then you've got a problem. You've got a problem. Oh, boy. That's a whole other conversation, isn't it? There is. I mean, this is important because uh, Israel's being accused of genocide, but the people judging the case of genocide, half of them come from countries where they don't have uh, democracies or jurisprudence systems that anybody here, if we were in that country, we would not want to go in their courts. Half of the, of the you know, we're talking about Russia. Libya, Uganda, right? These are the people on the on 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 the International Court of, uh, of Justice. So again, like that's pretty scary. I just wanted to ask a slightly different question: Is it possible for people in Israel to distinguish between like Hamas and the Palestinians? Because I mean, I talk. I talk to these Palestinian people here who have relatives there, and they're just in yeah. absolute deep distress about what's happening in the 
their relatives yeah, have actually given up hope. And they yeah. just want to live a normal life. You know, they just want yeah. to, so, to go to so school. So again, I, I, it's, an, it's a very good question. And it's a, and again, I, I wish I could give you an easy answer. I really, really do. I wish I could say, yes, of course we do. I, I, I certainly desire a separation between terrorists and non-terrorists, militants and non-militants. The difficulty is 90% of the Palestinian population in uh, more than 90% in the West Bank don't believe anything happened on October 7th. Don't believe Hamas, but support Hamas and uh, believe that the Israel shouldn't exist. Now, I still think it's incredibly important to distinguish between a population. These are these are polls that were done in the last week, by the way, last week or two. So I, I think in, that in Palestine, in, no, in in the West Bank, in the Palestinian, Palestinian Authority, in the Palestinian Authority, it's much harder to do polls right now in in Gaza. Uh, although, again, there's an above 70 percent support for Hamas. It would be impossible. So I, I want you to think back. I want you to think back again to the Second World War. And I think we, you know, do do did the, the German population supported Hitler, but not everybody, but a high percentage did. So is the war in, was the war against Germany, against the German population, against the country, against the military, against Hitler? I think that's a very complex thing to ask a country to try to be nuanced about it when you're in a fight for survival, when you're in a fight for liberal values. So I, I think it's a very, very complex thing. I think, you know, I think it's terrible and awful what Palestinians are living through and are going through. Mm -hmm. And I have tremendous amounts of sympathy. Uh, I, 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 you know, but I think they've been let down by corrupt leadership, a lack of accountability. They've not had elections. You know, M M M Abbas has been there, been there for 20 odd years since since Arafat died, there's been no elections. There's been complete, you know, horrendous corruption. Um, and yes, I, I think that there are, that, that 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 one should distinguish between these things, but it's really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess just talking to the people here are just so distressed. There, yeah. I mean, I, I would say again, one one, one there's been a very, there's a beautifully powerful, and again, you know, I believe intellectually, one has to live intellectually and emotionally with a certain amount of discomfort. Because if you can't, then you, you can't have empathy or understand or hear the other perspective, okay? So, so, so I think in, in that, there, there are various podcasts, there's one podcast that I really would suggest that you guys listen to called Unapologetic. Unapologetic is by two is, uh, Palestinian Israeli Arabs talking about their lives, talking about the complexity of their lives and talking about some of the issues that you're talking about. It is important that I listen to it. I think all Israelis should listen to this podcast because we should understand that there is uh, the, 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 the complexity of what it means to be a Palestinian Israeli Arab and what it, what that what those lives look like we have to listen to the to the stories and the narratives of the others even if it makes us uncomfortable mm. okay well I've, I've just located it on i've just located it on um spotify and i will definitely um 
and it's incredibly moving. It's incredibly moving, and it's incredibly important that we recognize humanity. You know, there's this inc- in 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 each other. You know, one of the most important uh, Jewish ideas that's written in the first ch- ch- uh, first or the second chapter of Genesis is B'Tselem Elohim, in the image of God. That human beings are in the image of God. So there is a sacredness implied in all human beings. And that and 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 that's accepted in in as as basic canon in in Jewish philosophy and Jewish theology. Uh, and and it's really important. And we forget, we forget, because that's the nature of war. It's the nature of anxiety and fear. Fear is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. When we are afraid, we forget our humanity in each other. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is probably a good time to come to our last question which um, it also would probably garner its own um, podcast series. But I think just to remind our listeners who who may have missed or are just late tuning in, um, Abram, you live in um, Jerusalem. Uh, People in your street, people you know, friends of yours have been touched by the attacks of October 7th. You You have relations and members of your family who are currently serving in the IDF, um, yeah, yeah. and you are a dad, you, you you are a family man, and therefore that qualifies you to be um, someone with a perspective on humanitarianism, and even to suddenly say, if I was to give you the opportunity to broker the solution, what do you think the best solution is and given how monumental that solution probably is what steps do you think could or should be taken so you yeah so you did ask me that question last time and so the uh, my I, I i think that um I, I, it's a hard question to answer because we've got yeah, it's a hard question to answer, but I'm going to, I think understanding each other's stories is critical. Uh, I say that as a psychologist and working with families and working with people uh, who are in, you know, who are, uh, you know, who have significant mental health needs, that, that, that understanding the stories and especially if there's conflict, understanding each other's stories is critical to to trying to find some way of living with the other. Um, and and so what I, I said last time, and I'll say this time, is is that there is a theory in the Palestinian mindset, whether it's after the Balfour twenty two. 23 of the first is uh, Palestinian um, well, the attacks against the Jews in 22, 28, 29, 30, uh, 36, 48, 67, 73, in the 80s, each generation has basically been said, the Jews are temporary, we need to make life really bad so we get rid of them. And I would hope that there will be a generation of Palestinians that will say, 
we'd like a little bit of what the Israelis have done. We'd like a little bit of what these Jews have done. We'd like to have a state that does what Israel does. And Gaza, I mean, the tragedy of Gaza is it has the best beaches. It could have been a Singapore. It could have been, instead of all this concrete going into tunnels, it could have been housing and schools. It could have been universities. It could have been hospitals. It could have been, could have been. And, 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 I, and I, 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 you asked me for, you only said I, one for one thing. There are many things I would do on the Israel side. Don't worry. I don't think it's just the Palestinians. But what I'm saying to you, when the Palestinians end this fantasy that we can get kill and get rid of Jews, that's when they'll, they'll have a state the next day. Let's say for some unbelievable divine reason, we arrive at a point where that's possible. Yeah. And there is, there is a, a meeting of minds and hearts. Yeah. What would the final result look like in your mind? In my mind, oh, I, I'm still a believer. There are less and less as time goes on. Uh, I believe there has to be uh, two states um, and, and that maybe in a few generations it'll become a confederation. Um, but there, there is, uh, but it, there has to be two states. Uh, the Palestinians have to be uh, afforded autonomy. And, and here's the strange thing, by the way, just, I just, I want be very clear. You talk even to the nuttiest. No, I can't say that. You talk to the even quite extreme, right? The nuttiest of the nuttiest. They have no desire to run Palestinians' lives. When you say to them, well, who should be in charge of their hospitals? Should we be in charge of their hospitals? They say, oh, no. The education system, oh, no. Even the right, rightest of the right wing will say, oh, no, the Palestinians should run something. So if you think about it, the gap between running something, autonomy, and a state ain't that large. It ain't that large. I mean, I say this as a, as a hope gives you a sense of hope of what yeah. could be possible, right? Because nobody wants to run other people's lives. That's insane, right? And yes, and then when I talk about the nutty people, those are the insane people, mm. right? Right, who say the ins most insane things, like the Palestinians in Gaza should go to the Congo. I mean, that's the most, nobody believes, that's the nuttiest thing to say. They shouldn't be saying it, but nutty people say nutty things. Well, the English government, we're trying to send their refugees to Rwanda. Uh, well, that, that to me is extraordinary too. <laughs> I, I agree, like, you know, but so, 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 so I, 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 want, I guess it's a sign of hope, like, we know what a Palestinian state will look like. We know when I say to you, tomorrow it could happen. It could because everybody knows what it looks like. And, and would that be autonomous? Because at the moment, the Palestinians have a lot Again, of control about what how, who goes what in. Who if you say, if, if, you, if you're saying, you know, again, like, I don't think even, even, even the, maybe not the nuttiest left wing person, but even the left wing would say, not so sure that you should have an army. Let's make it like Costa Rica, who doesn't have an army. Mm -hmm. Don't need an army to have a state. 
right? Because look what happened in 2005. Instead of building a state, they built rockets. You know, tens and tens and tens of thousands of rockets in the last uh, 50, uh, 16 years, 17 years. Mm. So, yeah, I, don't, I, I, I think, you know, again, like, you know, what does full autonomy look like? Mm. Should they have passports, have their own airport, run this? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Should they have an army? Not so sure. Okay, that's good. Well, there we go. That was a bit. Oh man, how uh, how is the how is the feel for your neighbourhood? How are people in your neighbourhood currently? We bring it right back to a a mic. Sure. So, so a father of four children uh, was killed in the neighbourhood. Uh, he was in he was in the army. He was thirty six. Um, and uh, there's a, a lot of distress, a lot of sadness in our neighborhood. Um, you know, I just want to say about those 21 soldiers. You know what's incredible to me is some were Ashkenazi, European Jews, some mm. were Sephardi Jews. There was a Bedouin, an Israeli Arab, a Druze. I mean, this was a pretty international army. Um, it's tragic. You know, one was a son of a Filipino. We have Filipinos that, you know, and and he was born in this country, raised in this country, wanted to serve this country, mm. um, and tragically died uh, in this horrendous incident. Mm. So everybody's impacted. Everybody's impacted from all communities. Um, and yes, that's, that, that has happened in our community this week. So that's been, that's been hard. Well, I think this is probably a good place for us to take a pause or to sure. maybe come to an end. But um, on behalf of uh, myself, Brent Caldwell, and um, COVID Omatic, and our very special guest, Abram Stern from Jerusalem, I'd just like to say to all people listening and all people everywhere may you be well, may you be happy, may you live with ease, may you live in peace. May we live in peace, absolutely. Amen. been listening to the caravan of hope promoting peace safety and well-being for every human being on earth so if you